Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Today we head back to 2006 to look at arguably the worst crime of all, a random murder of an innocent person who lost their life just because they happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But firstly, a huge thank you to this week's Patreon supporters. That's Sarah Horror, Neil Clifton, Alex Lash and Lauren S. I really appreciate your support and I hope you enjoy all the bonus content exclusively for Patreon members. But before we get started today, a quick word from the sponsors of today's show, Tide.co. Let's face it, if you run a small business, the high street banks are just rubbish, aren't they? Weeks to set up an account, unjustified fees, no features you need and just so slow. At Tide.co, you don't have to put up with this any longer. Contact them today to take advantage of an offer for listeners to this podcast for six months of free transfers. Let's be absolutely clear, that's a 100% free account for six months before moving to a pay-as-you-go account, with no monthly fees ever. To take advantage of this offer, please head to tide.co forward slash true crime and use the promo code true crime. That's tide.co forward slash true crime and use the promo code TRUECRIME. In April 2006, the UK charts were topped by Niles Barclay with Crazy. At number 18 was the legend is Chico with Chico Time. Come on, you love it really. In the US, Daniel Powter held the top slot with Bad Day. And the top selling album this year in Australia was James Blunt with Back to Bedlam. I was never very keen on James Blunt until I started following him on Twitter, where he's really very amusing. In the news this month, this was the month of the Shedden Massacre. Do you remember that? The bodies of eight men, all shot to death, were found in a field in Ontario, Canada, and were soon linked to the Bandidos motorcycle gang. It was also the month when construction began on the Freedom Tower for the New World Trade Centre in New York, and the Queen celebrated her 80th birthday at Windsor Castle. Hornchurch is around 15 miles northeast of central London. It's mainly a commuter town and life is pretty quiet generally for the 60,000 or so residents. But in 2006, the whole town was rocked by a brutal killing. On the 6th of April 2006, police launched a murder inquiry after a nurse was stabbed to death in a park behind a hospital. Cheryl Moss, aged 33 from Dagenham in East London, was stabbed in what police described as a frenzied attack near St George's Hospital in Hornchurch, Essex. Police say she was on a cigarette break on Thursday morning when she was attacked. Paramedics tried to save her life, but she was pronounced dead at the scene. Police officers did not think it was a patient who carried out the killing, but they were keeping an open mind about the murderer's motive. Cheryl Moss had worked at St George's for 10 years, and her family and her many friends were distraught at her murder. Cheryl met her husband, Peter, in a nightclub, and they married in June 2003, and held their wedding reception at the club in the hospital where Cheryl had worked for the last 10 years. Speaking after her death, her husband Peter said that his wife loved the hospital. Cheryl never asked for anything. All she ever did was care for other people. I was so proud to be her husband and I always will be. My life will be empty without her, he said. 
He added that they were looking forward to buying a house and becoming parents. We just wanted to be happy together, to grow old together. I would always love her until the day I die. Cheryl was keen to have children and we were looking into it. It was something she wanted all her life, to become a mother. She used to call me her rock and I would call her my diamond. She brought the sparkle back into my life. Chris Hewitt, Cheryl's brother, said, She was easy going. She got on with people. She didn't deserve this. The couple were known to friends as being passionate about the football team Tottenham Hotspur and they regularly made time in their busy schedules to get to the games. Very quickly after the murder, police arrested a local man in connection with the killing, Stuart Harling. When they started to investigate Harling, the blood of senior investigators ran cold. He was the stuff of all our nightmares and later described as the most dangerous teenager in the UK. So just who was Stuart Harling and what had led him down this path he had chosen to follow? It had all been so different at age 11 when he'd been a church altar boy and a promising pupil at school in Hornchurch where he displayed strong academic ability. He lived with his parents and his sister. Everything seemed stable. But even at this stage, he was starting to appear different to his classmates, especially due to issues building relationships with other children and his strange sense of humour, often described as bizarre. But there's nothing unusual in that. It could cover a number of potential issues or just be a young man's personality starting to emerge. As he progressed through school, he began spending more time locked in his room playing computer games with his school report saying that he lacked concentration and he wasn't really contributing in school anymore. But very soon Harling was skipping schoolwork completely and spending whole days at a time playing video games. Video games? How old am I? He left school at 16 and managed to complete an accountancy course at a nearby college. But after this he started to decline further and his connection with the real world really started to disappear as he spent more time in his bedroom, withdrawing into his own fantasy world. Unbeknown to his family, he now had aspirations of becoming a serial killer after watching a documentary on the American multiple murderer Richard Ramirez, who, as you probably know, murdered 13 people in LA. At the same time, his taste in computer games became more violent, and he also spent a lot of time on websites about serial killing. Not that any of us do that, hmm? Harling immersed himself in this violent work, researching in detail the methods employed by mass murderers, and he became increasingly meticulous as he researched the work of serial killers and became obsessed with their weapons and the violence they used. He spent whole days and nights on the internet, talking in chat rooms with others who shared his obsessions and researching more and more serial killers. Harling had been bullied at school, and the more he researched into the act carried out by these monsters, he dreamt of carrying out his own massacre, like that at Columbine High School. He pictured the faces of those responsible for his poor treatment at school, and he fantasised about killing them. He researched particularly on the internet such notorious murderers as Dennis Nielsen, Jeffrey Dahmer and Colin Island, and he also investigated Nazi knives and hand-to-hand combat. Other searches he was running included strangling, choking and game of death. As he continued to retreat further into his fantasy world, his social skills deteriorated still further, 
and the connections he built with the animated characters in games appeared much stronger to him than any of the bonds he was able to develop with real people. One of his favourite games was Manhunt. Do you know the game I'm talking about? I wasn't familiar with it, but in this game, players score points for their most gruesome executions, and then these murders are replayed in a movie-style clip. In such games, I think the line between fantasy and reality, some would argue, become dangerously blurred. He also began writing and storing some of these fantasies on his computer, one of which was called Murder at Upminster Bridge, where he fantasised in horrible details about the rape and murder of a black woman at a train station. Somewhat bizarrely, he was also interested in Equatorial Guinea and he had the notion of carrying out a military coup there. He told his best friend that they should get 150 people together and take over an oil-rich African country. As you do. Over a period of 10 months before he killed Cheryl, he compiled a murder kit by buying items on eBay including a hunting knife, leather gloves, sunglasses, an Adidas jacket and a witch's wig. He learnt how to kill. He had a CD instruction manual entitled Hand-to-Hand Combat, Knife Fighting and Self-Defence, which was used to train the US Marine Corps, and he used this to study the basic techniques of killing. He began to take long, solitary walks in a local country park, watching the people, and preparing himself for the day when he actually attacked someone. Dry runs for the murder, I guess. And as well as the murder itself... He revelled in the idea of becoming Hornchurch's first serial killer and the publicity it would provide. In his own mind, people would regret not treating him as someone important. And on April the 4th, just two days before Cheryl's murder, Harling carried out a number of online searches including Serial Killer Essex, Serial Killer Romford, Serial Killer Barking, Serial Killer Havering, all places in Essex nearby. And then two days later on April the 6th, it was time for the planning to stop. He was ready. Randomly, Harling chose the first suitable victim he came across, Cheryl Moss. It was her father Terence's birthday and she was due to meet with family to celebrate later that day. She was working as a nurse and she popped out for her usual cigarette break when Harling struck. He struck when she'd just finished texting a happy birthday message to her dad. That was when she was killed. Making sure his large hunting knife glinted in the sunlight, he ambushed her from the woods and he launched a frenzied and ferocious attack. Wearing the wig and sunglasses and armed with his razor-sharp hunting knife, Harling stabbed Cheryl 73 times as he lost control in what was only described as an explosion of violence. He plunged a blade into her face, her back and her arms, with such force that one blow split open her skull, with many of the other injuries inflicted as she lay helpless on the ground. He moved quickly. His actions had so suddenly and completely overwhelmed her that she had no time to flee and she was unable to defend herself. She had no time to even scream for help, and Harling fled the scene as quickly as he'd arrived. Cheryl was found in woods behind the hospital by a dog walker, and despite feverish attempts to save her life by colleagues at the hospital who ran to the scene, she was already dead. Harling immediately left the location and he dumped his kit in a nearby park. 
he raced home and went straight to his computer, where he logged onto the internet desperate to see the first news flashes about the murder. He checked out Google and the BBC News to see if there was anything there about his crime. But his ghoulish inquiries weren't to last long, as for someone who'd planned a murder for so long, he really made the most basic of mistakes. In error, Harling had actually left his home address in the bloodied murder kit, and police were soon knocking at his door where he was arrested and later charged. At his trial, Harling denied murder, claiming diminished responsibility. It was revealed in court that he blamed his 16-year-old sister for grassing on him to police, and during the trial he ordered his parents not to watch proceedings from the public gallery. He'd even managed to send a threatening letter to the 17-year-old witness who found his bag. When the trial opened, Harling was quickly led away to the cells after a series of foul-mouthed outbursts as the prosecution outlined the case. At one point he shouted, I'm going to shoot you with a machine gun. He also told the prosecutor he would, I quote, cut off his head and shit down the hole. And he then threw documents from the dock. He also abused members of the jury, claiming, among other things, that they were assassins or they had personal grudges against him. The solicitor defending him, Michael Wolkind, later apologised for his client's behaviour and told the jury, he certainly isn't normal. One morning he's a scout leader and an altar boy, and the next minute he's planning a military coup in Equatorial Guinea. Giving evidence, Harling told the court that he picked Cheryl at random after spotting her having a cigarette on a secluded path in the grounds of the hospital. I went out that day with a knife and the other stuff because I was bored, Harling told the court. In a voice lacking in emotion, Harling continued, I remember stabbing her in the back while she was on the floor there. It was like seeing a film. Asked about Cheryl Moss's death, Harling said, It does not mean anything. He went on to describe how he saw the silhouette of Cheryl Moss along a path where she was smoking a cigarette. He waited until she'd finished on her mobile phone, then ran towards her with the knife. Harling said, I thought I would try to get a glint of the sun on it so it's clearly seen. She noticed me and she said, Oh no, I was still running. I started stabbing her in the back. Harling claimed he'd been at the hospital car park to steal a car as part of the plot we referred to earlier to stage the overthrow in Equatorial Guinea. He intended to threaten the nurse with a knife to get her car keys. And when asked why he'd stabbed her instead, he replied, I don't know, it was weird. And asked what he felt when he heard she was dead, he said, I was kind of surprised when I heard it. It does not really bother me. I remember stabbing her in the back. I only stopped because my wig fell off. I was kind of surprised when I heard she was dead. It really doesn't bother me though. I'd do it again. He then added flippantly, It kind of ruined my day. It was almost as though he was treating Cheryl as just another animated character in one of the violent games he plays alone in his bedroom. Jurors heard a statement from a prison guard alleging that Harling admitted killing Cheryl Moss because he was bored and he could easily do it again. He went on to explain that he got bored very easily. Unsurprisingly, the jury found him guilty of murder and Harling was sentenced in his absence after he refused to go into court. The judge, Brian Barker, said that Harling told him there was an indication that others might be hurt if he was forced to go into the dock. 
Handing him a life sentence, Judge Barker said, The evil is that when you put your researches into practice, Cheryl Moss had the misfortune to stumble across your path. Your destructive and deadly actions appear to have meant little to you. This was a terrible and wicked attack that robbed the community of a vibrant member with so much of her life in front of her. What you gained, and what you seem to have sought, is infamy. Cheryl's husband Peter ran out of the court in tears after the verdict. He later paid tribute to his wife, saying, Cheryl was everything to me. I'd found the person to spend my life with, now all I have left is memories. I feel empty. This evil person should never be released. True justice should be life for a life, and until this deterrent is used, it's unlikely that violent crime and murder will subside. After the trial, the detective leading the inquiry, Detective Chief Inspector John MacDonald said, I've no doubt that if Harling had not been arrested, he would have gone on to commit other murders. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's quite a shocking story, isn't it? We read a lot about the violent video games, computer games, and the effect this can have on people. And, of course, plenty of people play these games all the time for extended periods, and they're fine, it doesn't affect them. But does it have a major effect on people like Harling? And it's the same with violent films, I suppose, isn't it? Do they affect people like Harling? Or was he just predisposed to behave in this manner anyway? And whatever he played, whatever he did, it wouldn't have made any difference. And what of Harling himself? Well, I think it's fair to say he's got no remorse, has he? There was a lot of discussion in this case about mental illness, about whether... I think it's just a particularly chilling murder. We're always told, as we've discussed on this podcast many times before, that the person most likely to murder us will be known to us, probably our partner. But it's when it's someone like Harling planning to murder and it's just a matter of time and he's out there like a predator hunting his prey. And what scares me is we all know there are people like that out there now, ready. They want to murder. They want to cause damage to people. In this case, the jury was simply asked to decide if he'd murdered Cheryl in cold blood or while suffering from mental disorder. Harling's barrister called several psychiatrists to evidence. And he disputed suggestions by the prosecutor that Harling was feigning mental illness and added, The suggestion of him pretending to be mad is completely opposed to what he's trying to do, to appear to be a normal person. The prosecution said that Harling knew exactly what he was doing right up to when he killed Cheryl Moss. They pointed out that Harling had bought a knife and the manual, and his actions were clearly premeditated. Michael Howlett, of the mental health charity the Zito Trust, said, If there's nothing previous in his life in terms of mental ill behaviour, if he's relatively intelligent with GCSEs, then maybe it's come out of the blue, and it could be the first time that he's displayed problems. Up until that day, perhaps nobody was any the wiser, until the police got into his computer and saw that he was a disturbed human being. There's a question as to whether this guy should have been seen by somebody. But it's not a crime to be a loner and unpopular at school. He said that psychiatrists would be falling over themselves to give opinions on this case and they'd all probably give differing ones. Is it lazy to blame the games on his behaviour? Harling's mum, Lorraine, said, I know these games are played by kids across the world, but some are truly horrific. And if they can cause a trigger to be pulled in someone's head, they should be banned. Now I feel people are looking at me as if I should have read the signs, but I'd no idea. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please head to our Facebook page and join in the chat about all aspects of UK true crime. Please support the show by heading to our Patreon site at patreon.com forward slash UK true crime. Eight bonus episodes there. Number nine will be coming in November. All for the cost of just £3 a month. So that's all for me for now. So until next week when we speak again, have a great week and we'll speak soon. Cheerio.